It's Chekhov's loo. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to flush by the end of the episode. Hello, you're on the terrace. This is the companion podcast to Night Terrace, the time travel comedy for your ears. I'm Vaya. I'm a night terror, the Roman earth goddess. I hang around on earth listening to a story about space and time travel and watching a lot of neighbours. And in this episode, we are going to examine episode seven of series two, The Retirement of Horatio Gray, written by Lee Zachariah, mainly starring this lad, Ben McKenzie, as Eddie Jones. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy with a classical mythology reference at the top of the show. Oh, get me right in my wheelhouse. I love it so much. Well, it was very high up in the dictionary listing, so that's where I went. (laughs) We are going to deep dive into the second last episode of the series, and there's a couple of fun episodes of On the Terrace on the way. Obviously, we're going to analyse the finale. Yes. We have had a chat with one Jackie Woodburn, mm. Her Royal Highness. It was nice. It was so good to see her. She just fills a room with warmth. If you think to yourself, what would it be like if I was in a room with Jackie Woodburn? If you think you would go to water and melt into a puddle on the floor, that's accurate. That's what happened to Vaya Pashos, which is me. I thought you did great. <laughs> Thanks. But inside, there was a lot going on in my body. I understand why you want to talk about that this episode, because she's not really in this one. Yes. Because what we have is we're with Eddie from this whole episode as he learns about Horatio Gray, Anastasia's old research colleague, and how he's been gallivanting through time, but not space, interfering with history. You've been actively meddling in all of history. Oh, I wouldn't say actively meddling. It's it's more a sort of professional curiosity. It is truly extraordinary you haven't destroyed the universe yet. (laughs) Well, if I had a denarii for every time I heard that. Just really stomping all over history. Yeah. And having a grand old time with not a care in the world. Including his own history. Well, we are now in his terrace house because when Eddie left ancient Gaul, he thought he was running into night terrace, but he opened a door and it was Horatio's terrace house. That's right. Which is also a time machine. Yeah. And also called night terrace. I think, I don't know that we actually established this in as many words, but they're all called night terrace. It's like, you know, when you see a row of terrace houses and they all have the same name on them. I, that's, yeah, which is a thing that I've seen around Melbourne. Yeah. Usually it's- when they're renovating them for a reality show called The Block. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Andrew Hansen. Let's yeah. start off with Horatio Gray, who I was reminded by Petra Elliott on Twitter, who was live tweeting some of these episodes recently, that we meet him in episode one of series one of oh, Night yeah. Terrace. Yeah, yeah. He leaves a message on Anastasia's answering machine, which I'm not really sure she got, but that was him. Yeah, yeah, and that was, you know, that was one of a number of gags. We recorded more of them than we needed and we had to cut some for time. Mm. I don't know. I think Lee always had an inkling he wanted to do more with the character, but it was never a certainty. Um, and there are a couple other things that we laid down in the first season that might lead somewhere someday, but, we, you know, we some of them are planned, some of them aren't. I, w- I will go to my grave before telling you which ones <laughs> are which. It's Horatio again. I may have just caused a time that's going to destroy the world. It's usually a bad sign when you rewrite your own history, yes? Anastasia? Hello? Hey, it's Horatio. I just figured out how to travel through time. Hi, this is David Ashton reporting from Off the Terrace to talk about recording and editing the retirement of Horatio Gray. 
This episode has a lot of swashbuckling adventure. Sailing boats, sailing boats on fire, walking the plank, Horatio's house filling with water and then emptying of water. There's a dolphin, there's a horse. It's got everything in this one. Horatio Gray is, of course, played by Andrew Hansen, and Andrew Hansen uh, normally lives in Sydney. Uh, but when we did season one, episode one, and we just had a couple of lines for him to go on Anastasia's answering machine, he was in Melbourne doing a stage show. So we visited him in his hotel room with a little portable recorder and just got those couple of lines for that answering machine. So when we came to do this episode in season two, of course, we needed to use those same things because we hear it from his perspective so i had to take those recordings from season one done on the little portable recorder and make them match the studio recording for season two hi this is petra elliott and i'm reporting from off the terrace well andrew hansen flew down for a day of recording and that day just happened to be my birthday and it was really cool to just i mean not many people like working on their birthday but it was really fun to be creating something that i was so proud of with a performer of such great caliber as are all our guest cast i think we went out for hot dogs or brevels or what do you call them here toasties jaffos this is the problem with living all around australia i never know what to call things we have this rotary phone sound effect which is delightful oh yeah nice work from david ashton there and that is what we find out is powering this night terrace of mm. Horatio's. It's not the plumbing, it's the phone. When Horatio Gray calls up the pizza delivery place, oh. that's my mum. Continuum pizza. There's a great bit of recording from when I have to dial the phone towards the end of the episode and it's underwater and mm. I have to make the noise of me reading out the numbers without oh. opening my mouth. It's so dumb. How did he do that? I, I don't know. He it's, built a house underwater. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, as David's said in previous episodes, it's important you've got to get the performer to do a certain amount of the work. You can't make magic out of nothing, although he does do that, to be honest, sometimes. Mm. 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 That's too fast for a rotary phone, but if I do it any slower, it's going to take up too much time. David, David may or may not use it. Who knows what David does? He's a mystery. Um, I thought that was my job. He's an enigma wrapped in a sound engineer. I'm, um, I'm looking forward to um, putting a phone underwater to, to record. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've got at least two of them if you need one for the noise. Yeah, so I had these phones, these old rotary phones as props for a play that I wrote, a short play that was set in 1975. I want to go get one. And then I went, I think I still, oh, no, I did have one. It got stolen. I had a whole box of props that I, got stolen. I think it'd be a nice little sensory exercise. It's fine. I, I don't know that it would work anymore. Well, um, I might time travel with it. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thing that I've seen done is to take an old school handset telephone and you take the wire off and you put a mobile phone transmitter in the bottom of it so you can carry it around and it'll actually ring and you can answer it. And You can get versions that you can plug into your smartphone. Yeah, you can do that. But, but this, it's not this, the same. But this is like an actual handset. Right. It's just, there's nothing attached to it. Oh. And, then it just, and then it just rings. Amazing. And, and you can talk to people on it. It's good fun.
And, and Horatio is also using this as a, I guess, a captain's log of his journey. Yeah, he's sort of he's trying to communicate back to the department, but also yeah, using it as a record of his adventures so that they know. Which is a plot point from the previous episode because Anastasia has this tape in her house that the department had for ages, and that's how they knew that Horatio was destined to go off and travel through time. Now, off the bat, he's created a time paradox because he's run into himself. Yeah, his first trip is to take the house back in time where it already was, which doesn't... Look, I'll be honest with you. The time travel metaphysics of this episode do not stand up to much scrutiny because, first of all, how how it's not possible to go back in time to where the house was, you know, a few weeks earlier because the house was still there. So what oh. happened to the house that was already there? It doesn't quite make sense. Um, but anyway, he does it because you get this hilarious scene where he meets himself and convinces himself not to buy the house accidentally by saying that he already lives there, uh, to which the real estate agent says nothing. Uh, the real estate agent, by the way, a cameo by one of our most loyal fans and biggest supporters, Sam Streeter. Thank you, Sam. You did such a great job of, of that part, I thought. <laughs> it's a lovely property. Hello? Who's there? Great place to retire, and the seller is really motivated. Why don't you go ahead? I'll just see if there's any mail. It seems very nice. Hello? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know anyone was in here. I just moved in. Do I know you? Well, I'd rather think I'm you from the future. Now, as we've established, Horatio invented a lot of the gadgets that Anastasia used in her time in the department. And one of the devices he's come up with recently is this toilet tracker that finds the nearest loo. Yeah. It's Chekhov's loo. (laughs) It's going to flush by the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really like that as a device in this episode. It was very funny. And, uh, And like, look, you know, I mean, if you've ever been in a country where you don't speak the language, or not just a country, any sort of situation where you don't feel able to communicate with the people around you, it's one of the main things you need to find out. And uh, imagine if you did have a device. <laughs> How useful would that be? Now, Eddie appears and finds out to his horror that Horatio has just been writing history. And, re- and rewriting it. Amending it. He does this amazing combination of completely destroying history as we know it and creating history as yeah. we know it. He does both. And I think this is one of the things where this episode really, like, it just, it's, it's a prime example of let, let's go for the jokes. Let's not worry too much about how it all works. Mm-hmm. Although it is kind of explained by the fact that when he goes back in time and prevents himself from moving into the house, he creates these sort of two timelines. But then you, you can't, but then only one of them has him traveling through time. So the one Horatio who's traveling through time is both destroying and creating history at the same Whoa. time. It's very, yeah, it's all very weird. There's a whole mini series, as it turns out. Okay. Uh, exploring some of his adventures. How which, did you make that? Did you do that at the same time? We did it did at the same this? time. So, and, and look, I had basically nothing to do with it. This was all Lee Zachariah's scheme. He's like, Oh, let's do it. Like it wasn't a stretch goal for the Kickstarter or anything. Yeah. Um, uh, it was just an extra bonus that until now has only been available to Kickstarter backers. Okay. But we thought, oh, it's been on the radio now. People know who Horatio Gray is. Maybe people want to hear it. So you can now get the Horatio's Travels miniseries. Horatio's Travels by Lee Zachariah. Episode 3. History. History's a funny thing, isn't it? And so this is another paradox where are we to believe that Horatio is so brilliant and intelligent that he just, he wrote Hamlet or, and then it existed, or did he just parrot back the Hamlet that he 
read and watched. Oh yeah, this is this is totally a bootstrap paradox. Okay. Yeah. Bootstrap we, paradox. Yeah, so this is explained brilliantly by uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor in a particular episode of Doctor Who, but it's basically it's also called a predestination paradox. Um but it 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 means that it's it's uh it's the problem of information. Like if I go back in time and tell myself, "Hey, you should write an episode about ancient Gaul for Night Terrace because it'll turn out great." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I only know that because it's already been written and I've already listened to it. Um, where does that idea come from? Right. Because I didn't have it. I got it. And then I gave it to myself. Uh, My earlier self didn't have that idea. So in the same way, I mean, in the Doctor Who episode, they talk about Beethoven. What if you went back in time and told Beethoven, hey, you should write this song that's like, da, 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 da. Like, yeah. Why is it called Bootstrap? Does that refer to something? Oh, it does. So um, Bootstrap, This is it's a reference to uh, the Baron von Munchausen, who's one of his famous, um, and this is the fictional version, one of the fictional version of the, because it was a real person uh, who was character assassinated in the stories, <laughs> who's not as big a liar as uh, portrayed. But anyway, in one of the Baron Munchausen stories, he refers to pulling himself up by his own bootstraps. Which of course is impossible. You can't pull yourself because he pulls himself out of the mud or out of the water or something. In the Terry Gilliam film, he does the equivalent by pulling himself out of the water by his own ponytail, <laughs> uh, which doesn't make any sense, but it, it's hilarious. And uh, it's so to, to bootstrap became uh, a phrase to mean to start yourself up or do something for yourself, which is why it's called booting up on a computer. The computer's Stop pulling it. itself up by its own bootstraps. Well, I never. Yeah, true story. So, Eddie and Horatio, they're in the ocean. They wind up on a ship, which we then find out is the Spanish Armada in the 16th century. We meet Francisco de Cuella, who is the hilarious Stephen Hall. Oh, he was so good. Oh, man. Another alum from the comedy series Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell in Australia. Yes, yes. And also, we meet him later as Francis Drake. And the first time I was listening to this... Like, I knew Paulie was in this episode twice, yeah. but I had that brief moment in my head of going, oh, who's this? And I had to, I went back and opened the credits and I'm like, of course, it's Stephen Hall again. Yeah. But it, it just perfectly worked as two separate people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it works for the comedy and the story as well, because one of the points that the dialogue makes is these two guys are basically the same. Mm. Like, they're uh-huh. both, uh, you know, fanatical followers of their own religion and thinks yeah. the others are evil and must be stamped out at all costs. The scourge of Protestantism must be stopped. It is a heretical and barbaric religion spread by remorseless brutes. The scourge of Catholicism must be stopped. It is a pernicious and wicked religion spread by pitiless savages. I'm detecting a theme here. I'm not a student of this period of history, so I don't know how accurate a portrayal (laughs) any of this is. Um, But I just thought it was just delicious to have them both played by the same person. And, you know, look, cost effective. Yes. (laughs) And showcases Stephen's talents. Yes. So the captain of the ship, Francisco, demands that they spill secrets. He thinks they're spies. Mm. They won't release them unless they spill secrets. So, of course, Horatio sings like a canary about all the future inventions, buying shares in Apple. Cars are a thing. (laughs) Oh, yes. Just so ridiculous. Um, Eddie's trying his best to make sure they only say things that won't make any sense. One of my favourite jokes, though, sorry, if I may say, is... Tell me the English strategy. Claim a few wickets early and then basically give up. Which is such a 2014, 2015 English cricket joke. Like, I'm sure it'll become relevant again. Well, who knows? <laughs> they're doing they're doing so well now, are they? I actually have Cric- lost touch. Cricket ebbs and flows. I'm sure. But, yeah. This is the point where Eddie starts to realise what working with himself is like. Yeah. 
He's, he's like, oh, no. There's a great moment where he says, is you make it impossible to travel with you, Eddie Jones? Yeah. And uh, I just, yeah, I'd forgotten that line. It was so good. He realizes, oh, when someone just stomps around having fun and not being conscious of their impact on the world around them, then it will have dire consequences. And he didn't really need to concede to Anastasia's perspective because she hasn't been all that fair to him, but it was nice that he could see it from her perspective. Yeah, but I think, you know, like at the start of the Ancient Gaul episode, he's done something really dumb. Like he is, and, and he should know better by now. And early on in their adventures, not a lot of the stuff they do is really his fault. But then, you know, in that adventure, there's at least a couple of times where he's he's screwing up and it makes everything harder for them. There are a few times that he's done it in other episodes as well. And you just like, come on, mate, get it together. So hopefully this is a bit of a turning point for him. Oh, one of my favorite jokes in this episode was, oh, no, not starboard. <laughs> Because I never know the difference either. And I always wonder, like, how do you know which side of the ship it is? Well, there's lots of different ways. One of the simplest ones is port has the same number of letters as left. Okay. Yep. That'll do it. Port means left. Like when you're first learning left and right and your hand is an L shape for your left hand. Yeah. I still I am amazed. I never knew anyone who was left, right, blind, like didn't know left and right until I moved to Melbourne. And I must have met at least a dozen or 20 people. It's the hook turns we have in our city. They're oh, really tedious. You have to go left to go right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the English Armada have sent a fire ship at them. And then Horatio has invented these fire pills Yeah, that keeps them safe from the flames. Yeah, yeah. So they're able to jump ship and keep sailing away on this fire ship. Yeah, even though it's still on fire, which seems like a terrible idea. But save them from other certain mm. death. <laughs> and, of course, that's where we meet Francis Drake. Yeah, I love the accent that Stephen does for him. Adorable. But we got him to do two versions of the character. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's this one where he's kind of, uh, you know, he's from Liverpool. Um, but then we also got him to do a Jason Statham style <laughs> performance, which we released to backers as, a, as an extra. Welcome, Spanish spies. I am Sir Francis Drake. Francis Drake? It's an honour. And we're not Spanish spies. El Drake. Ignore that. You turned our fire ship around and sailed it right back at us. I'm impressed by your daring, but I'm afraid I'll have to execute you for being spies. It's so good. So they jump onto a lifeboat and Mm. they're trying to find the terrace house. Eddie remembers the toilet tracker. There's only one toilet in the world. Yeah, so they haven't been invented yet. Yeah, it's in the house. Away they go. They reach the phone. It's underwater. Yeah. Eddie dials the first thing you can think of, which is a series of ones. Well, he's, you know, I've got to credit Eddie for being smart because yeah. he's like, that's the fastest thing to dial on a rotary phone. Yes. And but for, it was the least fun. Well, Dialing nines was the best fun. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, but you've got to sit there forever. Digga, 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 digga. <laughs> Some listeners might know what a rotary phone is. Look, if you had the Fisher Price fo- toy phone, mm. it's that, but real. <laughs> do they still Doesn't make those? Or do I think they, they do. They make like toy mobile phones. They now. do like, they do have that, but it's like a modern. They've made the illustration of its face a little more modern day, really. Yeah, okay. And here's this moment of reunion. The guys are reunited with Anastasia and Sue, who have been sent by the Cosmic Immortals Mm. to this point in time. Like really early, like just after the Earth has been formed. And they all convene here. Mm. What a precious moment. Well, hi. Hi. Because they've both realised they missed each other and... (sighs) They're friends. It is It is nice. It's nice. And it's it's nice to have a heartwarming moment there because we also have this sort of 
weird, sad moment, which is, look, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a noble sacrifice, but also the guy doing it is a, he's a, he's a, he's not a jerk, but he's a bit of a weirdo. Horatio. Yeah. Yeah. He just does so many things that are weird. Like he's, he's obsessed with his like ancestor. And I guess, I guess his motivation is that he says he was cooped up in this office and he never got to have any adventures. And so now he's just run amok. Yeah. But I don't understand why he's gone completely off chop. Well, he's not he's not doing it most of it on purpose. Like if you listen to I mean in the miniseries you see this, but if you listen to even the dialogue just in this episode, a lot of the stuff he's done he's just done completely by accident. Like he <laughs> accidentally killed Hitler. <laughs> like he he you know, he accidentally blabbed about stuff to Einstein. Mm. Like he didn't do any of it on purpose. He's just he's got sort a big of mouth. Yeah, he's just got a big mouth. But he just, he says so many funny things. I I do want to just say that uh, his obsession with his ancestor Mary is a bit creepy. Um, Did you you guys mathematically work out how many greats would have to be in the great-great-great-grandmother? I I think Lee did do that. I I didn't have anything to do that. I do want to credit Andrew Hansen, though, because in the scene where he falls asleep instantly um, and he mumbles Mary in his sleep, that is not scripted. That was (laughs) an unscripted... Uh, <laughs> unscripted ad lib. Do you know how then he affected his own l- lineage? Did he get together with his grandma? Well, the way he talks about her in this episode, no, I don't think so because he's never met her. He just sort of somehow knows that she was. He's a seen babe. a photo. She's a bit of all right. Yeah, which look, you know, looking at it through the lens of hindsight, that is super creepy. Oh, of course. Like. It really, I think you don't want to think about it too much because it makes the character much creepier than he's really intended to be. Maybe he was an adoptive grandmother, so there's no blood connection. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> but he never meets her anyway, no. so it, thankfully that doesn't happen. Now tell me why. So Anastasia reveals that Horatio is responsible for the Earth even existing. Yes. Tell me how and why. So the Earth, uh, there's many theories about the formation of the Earth, but basically, you know, molten stuff coalesces into a big enough ball and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But there's kind of needs to be something in the middle of it, like uh, kind of like how a, an oyster forms a pearl around okay. a, a little speck of dust. Now, I don't know. I'm going to confess to you. I don't know how accurate a model that is anymore, but it's certainly been a popular one. Um, it was used in a Doctor Who episode, actually. In terms of the, the folklore of the genre that yeah. people consume. Yeah, yeah. So, and, well, just, to, you know, it's, it, it is definitely an actual theory. Um, okay. But it's, it's so the idea is that he and his house, they're the core of the Earth. They're the thing wow. that starts off the formation of the planet Earth. So the mission now is to send him back to that point mm. and, and, and this, get it going again. Yeah, and this seems to be the time that he's destined to do it. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So he's got to dial to couple to zero. <laughs> Which is Australia's emergency number. <laughs> yes, for those not listening, triple zero is our emergency number. In the UK, is it triple nine? Yes, triple nine. Okay. And in the US, it's 911. See, in an emergency, if you had to use a rotary phone, that would waste valuable seconds. Yeah, well, it's even worse with triple zero because that's 10 ticks. Of course. So I don't know why it was that. Everyone's I guess it's so you wouldn't trouble. dial it by mistake. Yeah. But then it takes a long time to dial. So they send Horatio off. They dial the numbers, everyone's going to be back on track, and then bang. Yeah, Sue's got this lovely little speech. We're all together. The world is safe again. Everything's back to normal. We can now finally relax. This tremendous end-of-the-world noise from David Ashton. (laughs) And look, you know, in the script, all it said was, a loud explosion cuts Sue off. 
But, well, but I think David Ashton had been worded up by John Richards that it's not just a loud explosion. like It's not it, a car crash. <laughs> no, it's like the shattering of the universe all over again. And it's not the first time we've asked him to do that sort of noise. But I, to his credit, it doesn't sound the same as last time. It's its own exploding noise and it's genius. I maintain that he's a wizard. He is. Well, excellent little cliffhanger to take us into the series finale. Yeah, we got a, I'd forgotten how many cliffhangers there are this season. Just, there's a fair few. So, we should talk about what we might like to consume while we wait for the finale. Oh, yeah. Well, look, you know, I I think this episode reminds me of Doctor Who when they started to do Doctor Light episodes, they called them, where to save a bit of money on the main stars, to give the main stars a bit of a break, they would do an episode where the Doctor wasn't in it very much Mm. and they'd do an episode where the companion wasn't in it very much. And um, my favourite ones of those is, is from David Tennant's second season, the third season of the Revive series, one of the greatest episodes of Doctor Who of all time, uh, Blink by Stephen Moffat. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. In which the Doctor and indeed Martha barely appear. Um, it's mostly about these other characters and he appears sort of in a secondary way. I worked on a drama series and I haven't worked on that many, so you could sleuth and find out what it was where uh, the producers wanted to do that. We better give the star a break. So let's do this episode where she's injured herself. She's on the couch and everyone else has to has to complete the task. And then that got back to the star and she said, no, no, I'll be doing all the episodes. Thank you. So <laughs> that idea was shelved. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, hypothetically, such a star would probably also want to make a film with the same character. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's too many clues. <laughs> too many clues. Well, so, what would you recommend, Vaya? Uh, well, and I hope Andrew Hansen doesn't mind me deviating to another of his chaser pals. But so I've been thinking a lot about the chaser guys in this Night Terrace universe because there's a few of them that have cameoed. It was Chris. I can't, I have had trouble telling them apart. There's a lot of them. There were like six blokes. They all look the same. They sound very similar. They all went to the same institution that create satirical comedy and they work hard at it and they've ruffled a lot of feathers in a good way. They make an impact. They've yeah. made an impact with a lot of the stunts they've well, pulled. Also, they have generic, like, white dude names. Exactly. Like, I actually sent an email to the wrong Chris yeah, Taylor once. Of course. Because there are two that I have to deal with. Yeah. So, that sounds like their problem. I don't mean it that way. But I appreciate that I have this opportunity to get to know them individually. And I, and in recent years, they've gone on to other projects. Um, I really enjoyed Andrew Hansen's performance in as Horatio. He, yeah, and he, he enjoyed it too, actually. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andrew Hansen, and I am playing Horatio Gray. This, this was an interesting gig for me. I, I, it was something that I did with Lee Zachariah and John Richards, who, you know, who I'd kind of met through various chaser-related bits and bobs. Horatio in series one had two lines of dialogue. Well, I think I might have recorded three, and it was cut down to about one and a half lines of dialogue. And I, I gather through Lee's persistence, he's, he's now become a, a kind of feature character in one of the episodes of, of the series. And so it was a real pleasure for me, actually, because normally I'm kind of stuck doing my own really lame jokes and material... Um, so it's really nice to be given this beautiful script with a story and characters, which is my favourite type of thing, actually. I've done a lot of sort of topical fly-by-night type of comedy, and uh, but I really love doing playing characters, which is very nice to be given the chance to play a real... Uh, well, he's not a real person, is he? He's, quite, he's a silly, way-out-there sort of person. But to play a, a person who's not myself, it's just been lovely. Being a bit of a sci-fi nerd myself as well, um, I'm really into this kind of comedy sci-fi you know it's a genre that 
needs exploring a lot more, especially in Australia. I don't feel that we do enough of this type of audio in Australia. Uh, you know, we make a lot of lazy radio in Australia where it takes half an hour to make half an hour of radio because you just turn up and talk about what happened on the football this morning and take calls. I mean, and that's fine, you know, that's sort of all right on the way to work. But, uh, but I love, um, you know, a good audio, a good scripted bit of audio that's had production and love and craft poured into it. I really adore doing that. I did one myself called The Blow Parade, and, I, and so I was, I was excited to be asked to do another one because uh, I'd kind of missed it. Um, so, yeah, this has been a great pleasure. Hope you enjoy it. The other individual project of a Chaser member I enjoyed was Craig Rucastle's War on Waste series. Oh, yeah, so good. Which is life has been life-changing for me. I watched it on the ABC in Australia. I know that there are clips on YouTube of a lot of the tips and segments that they did. Um, so we can make those available. And I, I think that it may have – it's part of a, a format that I think was done in the UK. So I'm sure that the War on Waste exists in another form, in another form as well. But he – took various households through the process of waste management and then looked at, you know, recycling plants and um, what big organisations and big businesses and supermarkets were doing to handle their waste. And honestly, I went on a zero waste journey after I watched that. Got got a bit extreme after a while. Like I was um, – like I would take home leftovers on plates in restaurants and like rubbish. I'm talking, I would take home apple cores and things like that and compost them. But it's been really good for me in a universe where we're worried about the future of our planet and our climate. And especially in this episode, they go back to the beginning of the, <laughs> the creation of the earth. And then you worry about what the end of it is going to look like that you can do small bits and pieces while you hopefully wait for governments to take action. You can do tiny little, um, or not wait, acts. like, you know, actively, you know, advocate and try and make them take action because it's the companies making things Mm. and doing things that are still contributing so yeah it's important to take that personal responsibility and it certainly gives you a better appreciation of what is happening but it's not going to be the final answer no but it just helps you feel like you're not completely useless yeah and i think it's important not to underplay the usefulness of that as long as it doesn't make people complacent and yeah, not don't be do complacent. other things. Nobody be complacent. But, uh, I mean, look, and I, I can't talk. I've only gotten a small fraction of the way from the sounds of it that you've gone. Um, and, but, I, yeah. I, and I went to a rally and I've signed petitions. I've done both things. So do things. <laughs> do things, people. Whatever it is, just do something. Well, if you're enjoying On the Terrace, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you would like to support the Splendid Chaps Productions crew for developing a third series, keep an eye out on all the places for news on the Kickstarter campaign. But also, how can they get the little mini-series about Horatio? Oh, well, if you head to nightterrace.com or our Bandcamp uh, page, which is splendidchaps.bandcamp.com, you can find it there. It's only going to be five bucks, so, you know, have a go. And if you're converting from pounds, it's a bargain. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it is for now. Who knows <laughs> what Brexit today. will mean. Good luck. Good luck, everyone. So get your info on this podcast and on Night Terrace at nightterrace.com. The finale will air on BBC Radio 4 Extra. Keep your eyes out on bbc.co.uk as well or the iPlayer app, BBC Sounds. Contact the gang at Night Terrace on Twitter. Search Night Terrace on Facebook and find me over on Neighbours because it's been 25 years of Carl and Susan on Neighbours, so... We'll share our thoughts on that on my neighbour's podcast, neighbourspod.com. Thanks, Ben. Oh, thanks, Ben. We'll check in again next time for another cup of tea on the terrace. Bye. 
You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendor Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at SplendorChaps.com.